You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to help you plan that unbelievable travel experience. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. It's that time of the week again. It's the Orange and Black Insider Bengals podcast. I'm Anthony Cazenza, and I am joined by John Sheeran. And for the first time in like two months, John, we get to talk about a Bengals win. And even with that, there are some concerns. But uh, we'll get to that in just a second. John, how are you, buddy? I'm doing well. And I'm also happy to announce that this podcast is officially anti-UCLA for the night. The uh, Bearcats basketball takes on UCLA basketball and I don't know if you dive into USC basketball and what that rivalry is like, but UCLA sucks, at least for the next two hours <laughs> when they play in about half an hour. So if you guys can keep me updated with the score, uh, I know some of you are Bearcats fans, that'd be great. Fair enough. I'm, I'm not a UCLA guy myself, so uh, I'll, I'll, I'll root for the Bearcats on, with you on that one. Um, there you go. Yeah, I'm not a big hoops guy, but uh, college basketball is fun and um, especially more in the spring months, it's fun. But oh yeah, this is, this uh, is the preseason. Yeah, right yeah, exactly. But uh, anytime the Bruins lose, I'm I'm a fan <laughs> of that. Um, well, like I said, John, I mean it's it's been quite some time since the Cincinnati Bengals won a football game, and uh, to be honest, I'm I'm kind of taken aback. I'm like, I, I don't know where to where to begin with this one because uh, it's it's kind of a new thing, and and like I said at the opening of the show it's kind of like uh, it's kind of a bittersweet thing right I mean it's, it's been so long since they won and they they won pretty handily with a lot of guys out of the lineup mm-hmm. but it's also you know even though they had some playoff hopes that were alive it's also kind of like well a lot of people like, would like to see them tank so your thoughts on the win? Obviously, a nice milestone. Tyler Boyd got a thousand yards on the season. Joe Mixon's five yards away from there. So there's kind of a lot to digest in terms of positives. But uh, overall impressions of the Bengals' win on Sunday against the Raiders. So it was, a, it was a long time since they won, and it was a long time since they played a team that was considerably worse than them. And I guess the last time that happened was when they were playing the the reeling Bucks when they had Jameis Winston throw four interceptions in that first half. So since then, they played like the Saints, they played Lamar Jackson's Ravens, they played Baker Mayfield's Browns, they even played the Broncos, who, you know, at the very least have looked competent. So, you know, their strength of schedule over the past, you know, however many weeks without A.J. Green and A.D. Dolan for the most part hasn't favored them specifically because they're just playing so bad and they've been dealing with so many injuries. So you, you take a three-win Oakland team who's obviously bad in most ways and you know, a, a quarterback in Derek Carr that can't take advantage of playing a bad Bengals defense and still not outperform, you know, a quarterback like Jeff Driscoll and put up more points on the board than than an offense led under Driscoll. It's just like, yeah, you want to see the Bengals, you know, winning, winning at this point for the Bengals season doesn't really do that much except for 
pride and however much that's worth. But even if like the Bengals wanted to tank, I don't know if like they could out tank the Raiders at this point because they're just so just dreadful. And I know a lot of fans were upset that, you know, they, they want, they want to see a tank and they, you know, would be better off seeing the Bengals lose because, you know, it would leave less to um, less chance in terms of future progression. But again, this is the Raiders guys. Like, like, even if the Bengals wanted to lose, I'm not sure they could have because that's just literally how bad the Raiders are. And most importantly, the Bengals aren't going to play a, a team that, that bad for the rest of the season. So I don't, I don't even think it matters at this point. Even if they wanted to tank, I think we're going to see results similar to if they were trying to play that. Right. And unfortunately, I, uh, Boy, I mentioned Boyd. He got hurt in the game, so it, it may. It, it sounds like he's got a sprained knee ligament, and he may not play the rest of the season. So there's another issue, another injury piling up for the Bengals. I mentioned Joe Mixon. He he ran well. Um, what did you? I mean, the week prior, Joe Mixon gets 100 yards, mm-hmm. and it's behind the line with Christian Westerman in the lineup. And I think a lot of people largely credited him for a lot of the play there. And now this week, back-to-back 100-yard games, ran really well again. Um, No Westerman in the lineup. So are we kind of overblowing the Westerman effect? Or is there – is that just – or is that just, hey, Joe Mixon is that good that he can make some plays behind a lot of guys on the line? Well, I mean, it's fair because we all love – Westerman, we all think that he's getting in like the wrong of a deal right now. And it's completely fair to assume that we're just overrating Westerman. But at the same time, the Bengals don't have a bad left guard because even with Westerman out, that leaves Clint Bowling playing his natural position, playing up against a Raiders defensive line that's considerably worse than the Chargers defensive line, at least. And so, you know, when you put those two together, it kind of nets the same end result, which happened to be 127 yards on 4.8 yards per carry. But with Clint Bowling back at left guard, Cording Lowe's back at left tackle. Just the overall you know, cohesion with those two guys works a lot better than having Bowling at a position that he doesn't play uh, well or normally at that point. And even a guy like Western, who is talented as he is. And also, you know, we I don't think a lot of us are big fans of Alex Redman and his play, but even, you know, he even he can make some good, uh, decent-looking blocks there. And when you have Redman, you know, kind of toying with defensive tackles every now and then in the ground game, Clint Bowling doing his usual thing that kind of masks, you know, some of Billy Price's issues at the same time. So offensive line played well, but again, the level of competition was just not at the at the same spectrum as playing the Browns at this point or playing the Chargers or even the Ravens uh, a few weeks back. So a, lo- a lot of those uh, similar things saw a lot more positive success, even with, you know, a guy as talented as Western and out of London. And that, I think, speaks to, you know, their need at guard may not be as big as, you know, we want to make it seem, but just because, for some ungodown reason, Westerman just can't get on the field. Yep, that kind of brings me to uh, my next point about this win, and I talked a little bit about it in a post that I put up on Cincy Jungle recently, and that was kind of about the the talent on the roster, right? And what this Raiders game showed was some, still some. Great play by some of their most valued veterans, Carlos Dunlap, fumble recovery, Geno Atkins, three sacks. Um, you know, the, the veterans, Tyler Boyd, he's not, I mean, he's not a longtime veteran, but he's a guy who has really stepped up this this year. So guys who have been here a little bit making plays, but then you also have some of the younger guys 
um, and beleaguered guys making some plays. Sam Hubbard, not a beleaguered guy, but a guy who um, is a rookie. You know, two sacks, forced fumble, that sort of thing. Um, other young guys, and that's that's what this double-edged sword of a season that has kind of gone out of control. That's kind of what happens here at the end of the season. These young guys get playing time. So I guess where I'm going is, are you are you encouraged with the mix of some of the older guys that will be back in 2019 along with some of these young guys that have flashed this year and, well, and flashed on Sunday? Well, that relationship that, that you like were, were leading to and that you mentioned it, it's like, a, it's like now – that the Bengals just aren't competitive anymore in December. It's kind of like a yearly thing where we want these guys to play, you know, early on the season when they're struggling at some, you know, positions that we've seen them struggle in the past. And then those young guys can't get on the field until at this point in the season when they're already out of the race. And then we see those young guys play well because we knew they were good players, but for some reason the coaching staff doesn't put them out there for at least as long as they should have. And now you're seeing, you know, better play at some positions than before because, you know, veterans are either injured or the young guys are getting those chances to play because these games, again, don't really matter for the sake of playoffs or anything like that. So it's kind of almost like a yearly thing at this point. You know, last season we saw, you know, at that time an unknown in Alex Redman and Christian Westerman, you know, trade off snaps at left guard and run blocking there, you know, just for the overall offensive line looked a lot better in, in that sense. Uh, Tyler Boyd, I think, stepped up last last season in the in the last two or three games after not playing like at all for most of his sophomore season, and he popped off. And so, you know, we might see you know guys like a Josh Malone, maybe if he finally plays with all the injuries that you know receiver that they're going through right now. A lot of us hope for Malik Jefferson, but he's on injured reserve, so we're just going to wait for 2019 to see him. But yeah, there'll definitely be some other names I think that are just going to play a little bit more as the season winds down to irrelevance and up against good competition in the Browns and the Steelers. So it's almost like a yearly tradition now, unless the Bengals somehow get good. And, you know, but in terms of me being confident about that mix, like, like until they just start playing these guys earlier in the season, that, that, that I think the process of getting them on the field needs to improve it. And that would instill more confidence in me in the, in the relationship between, you know, the young guys and the veterans, but until they finally get a good, healthy mix of both of them consistently throughout the season. I think that's when uh, the confidence can kind of be more instilled. Right. And uh, I mean, like I said, there's, there's just, it's, it's kind of weird to me. And this is what I expressed in that post is just, there are group position groups that are talented that have some talent in both at the veteran end of the spectrum and the, the young guy end of the spectrum. But there are some groups that are just completely devoid of talent. Uh, it seems uh, whether they're injured or not, or, or, I mean, in the case of one position group, the linebackers, once the starters are gone, it's, 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 oh boy, you know? Yeah. Um, so, uh, and you know, I mean, not every team is going to have absolute, killer depth at every position group. That's just not, it's not a realistic expectation, but um, you know, I mean, you'd like to think that you'd like to think that uh, some of these groups would be a little bit more strong than what we've witnessed throughout this, this bad stretch of games and and this injury bug that's hit this team. So um, regardless, they took care of a lesser opponent. And uh, I mean, really, if I haven't watched a lot of Raiders football this, this year, but uh that's not a very good team. That, that's, you wouldn't want to. They're, no, they're just, they're just bad. Yeah, it's just not a very good football team. Um, but at, at, you know, 
like I said, there, there were some signs of encouragement. I mentioned Sam Hubbard, you know, on, uh, on a couple of those plays, he beat Colton Miller, who was a first round pick this year of the Raiders and uh, one that was linked to the Bengals quite a bit. So, I mean, you see him beat, beat Miller. Uh, and so that in itself is, is discouraging for Oakland, but encouraging for the Bengals for sure. And uh, obviously with, a win and the Bengals getting to six and eight. They were briefly alive for the playoffs. What transpired later on Sunday basically eliminated them. Any small chance they had to make the postseason, um, they were eliminated with the Steelers beating the Patriots, which um, not a lot of people thought that that would happen. But regardless, the Bengals are out of the playoff hunt, which we kind of figured they were, but it's been a weak year in the AFC and the AFC North. So uh, they were alive, even though the record really didn't predicate them being alive at this point in the season. This is the Orange and Black Insider Bengals podcast. I'm Anthony Cazenza. He's John Sheeran talking about the Bengals win over the Raiders and uh, what it means both in the present and in the future. You can get this show on iTunes, on Stitcher, on Google Play. You can get them on those apps. You can get it on Art19. We are on YouTube, and all of our stuff is on cincyjungle.com, as well as some of our writings from both John Sheeran and I. Uh, so check out what Cincy Jungle is uh, offering there. And we are part uh, proud to be a part of the SB Nation family of podcasts. Uh, we're, we're pretty stoked on that. That was, a, in case you're a new listener, that is something that uh, was a recent development right before this regular season occurred. So I'm uh, pretty excited about that and uh, excited about what that means going forward for the show. Speaking about going forward, John, this Raiders win gets the Bengals to six and eight, and it's oh so close to that magical Marvin number of eight and eight. <laughs> and uh, I think I, I – I think what's on a lot of fans' minds, and I know we already got one listener question. Usually we save these till the end of the program. And, and side note, if you do have some of those, we will be trying to take some of those at the end of the program uh, if we can. But you can hit us up on Twitter at BengalsOBI. You can leave your comments in the comment thread at CincyJungle.com or in the chat at YouTube. And then we have our text and call line open, 949-542-6241, if you want to hit us up there. But uh, – I wanted to get to this question early because it relates to a topic we wanted to talk about. And it's from, it was on Twitter from Carlos Andre at Carlos Andre 31. Uh, hey guys, do you think this win saved Marvin's job? I thought that, uh, that within, with a five and 11 record, the odds were high, uh, as high that they could get. I'm assuming meaning getting rid of them. Uh, I still have hope with six and 10. That's a funny statement, but uh, <laughs> I still have hope with six and 10, but if they win one more game, we're stuck with him again. Any thoughts, greetings from Brazil. I uh, love the show. Who day. Thanks, Carlos. Appreciate the question. Um, as I said, we were going to talk about this as kind of a topic anyway. So the question relates well, I think that's both. Uh, I mean, it's a concern. It's an expectation. It's, I, to me, as I sit here today, I, I don't know that this one means as much as the next two games in terms of a win. Um, I think we know how the Brown family feels about the Cleveland Browns and obviously a win against the Steelers and one that might, uh, that could potentially knock them out of the playoffs that could play in Lewis's favor. So your thoughts about the win this week and what it means going forward uh, for Marvin Lewis's job security Um and then we'll, let's start there. Let's start there. If Lewis saved his job with the win against the Raiders, his job wasn't in jeopardy to begin with. And, you know, my whole standpoint with it is that I don't think 
that Mike and that team operate strictly on a, a couple wins and losses to sway their decision making. Because to Carlos's question, he said, you know, if this win eventually leads them to becoming seven and nine, so they go what one and one, and either against with the winning against the Browns and winning against the Steelers, still a losing record, still the same record that they had last year when they brought Marvin back on a two year contract. Like if the Raiders win is like the main reason why they got to seven and nine. And then that's the number that brings Marvin back. He wasn't, you can't tell me with a straight face that his job was at risk in the first place. And that would just only confirm that winning and losing doesn't, you know, determine Marvin Lewis's job security. So I don't I, like, no, like I, I, I feel like, it, I feel like they have a decision right now in mind about what to do with him. And ultimately, a lot of that decision is going to be laid upon Marvin. And if they happen to somehow win one of these last two games, and if that's enough to, like, you know, instill some type of surge and a desire to come back yet again and try for a fourth consecutive losing season, then that's fine. But I don't think that the organization itself is going to look at a win against a team that's worse than the Bengals at home in front of 30,000 somewhat fans in the stadium and say, yeah, this is the one, this is the thing that's going to make things okay. You know, it's the first win since October. I, I, don't, I don't buy that, to be honest. Yeah, and it's tough because I think you and I spoke last week uh, before the show about my, uh, just a side, side deal, my nephew met a lot of players the evening before the Chargers game. Mm-hmm. And uh, he ended up meeting Marvin Lewis, and Marvin Lewis was so cordial and such a nice guy to him and he actually approached my nephew who's like 11 years old and it's it's that kind of stuff where you go oh man we're sitting here just begging for the guy to not be employed anymore you know what i mean it's it's really sad and i've met i've met him i've talked to him and he is a really really nice man and he is a he's done a lot of good things for the Bengals, but um you know a time for a change is a time for change and um even successful organizations do that. Um, the thing that I wonder about, like you said, John, is I, I don't I don't know that his job would have been in jeopardy if with a win over the Raiders. That doesn't really mean much in, in the grand scheme of things. And when you look at what Mike Brown said last year, when it came time to decide whether or not to bring Lewis back or re-sign him. It was that the Bengals basically knocked off two potential playoff teams, mm-hmm. um, and that's that's what helped him decide that the that the fact you know that the team was playing well for him at the end of the year, that sort of thing, and that's that meant a lot to him in that decision process. Now we sit here and we go, well, theoretically the Browns are still alive for the playoffs. I think uh, the Steelers are still alive for the playoffs in the division crown. So I mean. Does that excuse play in there? And uh, I mean, I, I go back also, John. To is this something where we know about Mike Brown, and he's he's not. I don't know if you want to call him like non-confrontational or or whatever you want to you want to label him as. And there are a lot of labels, but with Marvin, you almost wonder if he wants to take the white glove treatment with him and say, you know what, we've got this one year, either you stay or the, the opt out is that mutual, mutual parting. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I don't know. Those are kind of some thoughts rattling in my head. If you want to expand on those or 
your thoughts on if he comes back? I mean, like you, you kind of mentioned it a little bit. Is is it probably going to be more of the same in 2019 if Marvin's back or the injuries and all of that? Does does that play into a potential more successful season? So we want Marvin to essentially retire because I don't think he's ever going to get fired. If he does leave, it'll be part of his decision-making as well. We want Marvin to retire because we believe that that's like the one tangible, obtainable um, step in progress that we as fans can hope for. Because the the underlying problem, the main problem with the Bengals is not necessarily the head coach. It's more the owner and how he runs things and obviously all those things that we have expanded upon to death. And when people talk about, you know, the, the, the Bengals wouldn't be anywhere near where they are without Marvin Lewis, perhaps that's true. But then we get upset when people say, you know, how are they going to do better than him based off where they were? I don't think a lot of us realize that if Marvin Lewis is gone, and let's just say for hypothetical reasons, a huge accident is not the replacement. I truly wonder who is going to win over Mike Brown's heart in that scenario, because Mar- Marvin Lewis's underrated ability is to, you know, somehow swindle power away from Mike Brown with whatever, you know, charm or char- charisma or persona that he puts on for him. And I don't know of a single coach out there that can possibly do the same thing with a man, you know, that operates and has the personality of a Mike Brown. So it, it honestly is curious to me, you know, when, and if Marvin Lewis, you know, moves on, who is going to be the guy that can possibly, you know, convince Mike Brown to do things differently and also be, be a guy that Mike would even trust and would even accept into his inner circle because he's such a family man. And I think that's the reason why a lot of people think it's going to be Hugh because he's kind of runs things similar to Marvin has that s- similar personality traits and are obviously good friends. And so Mike would, would trust, you know, Marvin vetting him or whatever, but I don't know. I think that's an aspect that not a lot of people you know, think about when they when people talk about Marvin being the best thing for them, because Marvin might be the best kind of might, might be the best coach with that kind of personality that can um, de- um, deviate the power away from Mike in that sense. OK, so and I agree with you, you know, it, to be honest, I think it was. When was I think it was actually actually the the 2011 off season when he came back, I was like no after 2010 I was like no 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 right. and then when they resigned him I changed my tune a little bit and saying look this is the only guy it seems that is grabbing Mike Brown's ear, mm-hmm. um, so that's why I was like okay I'm in a, I'm in for another turn with Lewis and now it's turned into this after I mean. Obviously, 11, 2011 through 2015, that was enjoyable. But since, it, it, you know, still can't win the big games. Players don't show up in the big games. Uh, we know the narratives. We know the narratives. So I've got just a couple more questions I want to ask you on this, John. Do you think that the – do you think that the effort level, especially given the the injuries, do you think that the effort level – is potentially saving him uh, near win or at least very competitive game against the chargers win against the Raiders. Um, obviously I, I thought the effort was pretty poor against some of the better teams they played where they got blown out and, and whatnot the Browns. I thought the effort was pretty poor in that game early on, but I mean, do you think now that's another thing that Mike Brown might say, well, you know what this team quote unquote, didn't give up on him. Well, it all started with that collapse against the saints. And at the time the saints were, amounting to to be as one of the very best teams in the NFL. It wasn't even close on the field. 
once that like started happening and they realized just how outclassed they were compared to the elite in the NFL, things started to downturn. And then when you continue to play teams that are just more talented than you, I feel like effort at the start is already at a low because you know you're you already don't have a lot of confidence that you yep. can beat teams of this quality. And then you face the Raiders and they start firing out of the gate because they're just at even at this point, they're the better team than the Raiders. People are like, oh, they're playing for Marv. They're just playing a team that they're just clearly talented, more talented than. They're not going to have that situation against the Browns, and they're not going to have that situation against the Steelers. Like, sh- sure, because it is the home finale, and there is speculation that this could be Marvin Marvin's last home game. Maybe they played a little bit more extra for that, but I do think that there is something to be said about playing a team that even they know, you know, losing five straight. They're just better than they're, they're just more talented. The roster is better and they probably don't respect John Gruden and what he's done to start there in the first place. So I think a lot of those factors factor in more than just overall effort playing for Marvin for one last time. This is the orange black insider Bengals podcast. He's John Sheeran. I'm Anthony Gazenza. We're talking about the situation with Marvin Lewis and what it means, what this win means going forward. Uh, for his future with the club. You, John, you and uh, both you and Matt Minich at CincyJungle.com wrote recent articles about tanking. Mm -hmm. Matt Minich's uh, stance was tanking is not going to solve the Bengals' problems is the title of that. And I glanced at that one a little bit. Basically, you know, it goes beyond – the issues go beyond needing a high draft pick type of thing. Um, You know, it's it's – like it's organizational stuff. It's, you know, things with Lewis, that sort of thing. And then you wrote one uh, two days ago that was titled, the Bengals haven't failed at tanking yet. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm going to give mine as well, but I mean, give us your stance at this point on the Bengals tanking their season, because I think a lot of people are like, dude, just lose out, get that high pick, and do what you can with it. Whereas other people aren't so sold on that idea. And and even I like totally understand, you know, the points that Matt um, uh, expanded upon in that piece. He like when they were, I don't, I don't even know what the record was, but it was about a month ago. I wrote, I wrote about wanting the Bengals to continue winning because. Winning and losing doesn't matter when they're when they're making long term decision making specifically with with with, with Marvin yeah. or whatever. And you know that was at the point where they were still kind of in the playoff race and there was still there was still a decent possibility. Since then they didn't win. And at this point now I'm thinking like you like you know you might as well just not leave it to chance with a, a, like a division win against the Browns or the Steelers. You might as well just like lose out to make sure that you do see at least some form of actual tangible change at where it matters. And the only way that we would for sure see that is if they would lose. And if that doesn't happen, if they lose, then we can really confirm that winning and losing doesn't matter in, in, in terms of, of, of that kind of thing. But um, yeah, a lot of people were like worried that a winning against the Raiders would like ruin them from a top 10 pick. And I ended up doing the math and the, the vast majority of teams who ended up winning uh, six games on the year, um, 75% of them pick between eight and 10th in the draft order, or at least that's where, their final alignment is. And so there's about eh, 20 so percent chance that they get outside of the top 10, but the odds are in favor of, of them finishing in the top 10. But then you think back about it and you're like, you know, it doesn't really matter where they're going to draft or what their first round draft pick is. The overlying issue still exists on this roster. And if those issues 
you know, persist with the same guys leading the ship, then not a lot, not a lot of that is going to matter. And that's where I agree with Matt as well for in, in that standpoint. I'm I'm on the fence about a lot of things with it. Everything. I mean, I think overall, if you're not going to the playoffs, I think the, the overarching opinion is, of course, you want the highest draft pick as possible to get the highest impact player as possible, and. Playing into that corner with me is something I've harped on a lot on this show and on the website is if you're not going to move up to get an impact player, you might as well get as high of a pick as possible mm-hmm. to get get the guy that you potentially want because the Bengals like never trade up, especially in the early rounds to to uh, for someone significant. Instead, they wait and see who falls to them. So from that standpoint, I'd like to see them – not not win any more games and get the highest pick possible right and and, and like i think matt talked about you know they need to learn how to win and to kind of eradicate as much of the losing culture as as it is but i think you and me can both agree that if this team had like a head coach within you know two or three years in his tenure and there was they were more talented than where they are now then you would want like them to finish the season strong you know to get some momentum going forward for next year because you have stability in there but since you're trying to push guys out of the door winning probably delays that happening than losing does. Yeah. Year one, year two in a new coaching regime. If you're, you know, at that six win mark, you kind of want to say, Hey, let's, let's push and see how we can, you know, and that's, you know, year 16, <laughs> there's a different, <laughs> there's a different attitude. But uh, the other thing though, I mean, I guess I, I'm just a little old school and I've, I've coached teams and stuff. So I don't, even, even if this te- the season is out of control, I don't like to see a team quit. And uh, from a, from a fan standpoint, watching, watching the games, I don't, I don't need to see against two bitter rivals, especially coming up here. I don't need to see them get blown out by three touchdowns in each game. Um, yeah. The injury excuse is there, but uh, you know, I, I'd really like to see them make a game of it. And if they lose, okay, that plays into the draft thing. They're already out of the playoff race anyway. But I would like to see them at least put up a fight against these two teams, um, which is weird to say for the Browns because that's been a team that they've largely owned, but uh, definitely the case for the Pittsburgh Steelers. So that's uh, I, I see pros and cons to each, and and so, but then you know sometimes high effort level will get you that win and knock you down, <laughs> mm-hmm. knock you down the draft order. So there's you know there's a double edged sword there. But I mean, I guess as weird as it sounds at this point, ideally I would like to see you know Joe Mixon get his thousand yards and 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 end up having a really good statistical season. Um, Tyler Boyd's already got his one thousand yards. I'd like to see some of these young guys play and improve. I'd like to see the effort level be high, and if they lose, that's fine with me, I guess, because that then they they would get the higher draft positioning. But uh, I, I I just don't like losing against. I don't like the Bengals losing against those teams. It's uh, <laughs> not it's not fun. But to end to end this discussion, John, quickly, Marvin Lewis keeps his job if. They finished six and eight, or I'm sorry, they finished uh, six and ten, seven and nine, eight and eight. What 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 category or categories do you see him keeping his job in 2019 with those records? Um, I would say eight and eight. I, I guess you can throw it in as likely because you know there's president for last year and how they ended. Seven and nine. 
I feel like a win against the Browns and a loss against the Steelers probably isn't enough if we're just if we're still in this vacuum of these last two games meaning something and mattering. Six and ten, I think. Like, like I think that that at that point, like Marvin doesn't have a lot of energy and, and any motivation to c- continue. So I would say seven and nine with that asterisk with that win being against the Steelers, maybe more so than it being against the Browns. Eight and eight. Door is definitely wide open. I would say. Yeah, I think I think eight and eighty saves himself. Seven and nine is dependent. Um, mm. I, I'm a little more, I'm a little more confident in Lewis staying at seven and nine maybe than you are because of who they play and the fact that both of those teams are in the playoff hunt. The Brown family absolutely <laughs> still hates the Cleveland Browns, um, and then obviously the Steelers just bitter rival. And I think if Lewis can get a win with with this injury-riddled team, if he can get a win against one of those teams, I, I think I think he might stay at seven and nine. Um, and, and theoretically, that's not a it's not a digression from last year, right? I mean, record-wise. Mm-hmm. So I, I think that that they would look at that and say, oh, uh, you know, then that's when you start hearing the excuse things. But uh, I think if they if they lose both games, I don't I don't think he comes back. I, I think six and ten. He still just, could come back. Like I don't even want to have any confidence in that statement. You know. <laughs> yeah, I, I guess. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, oh, six and ten, and yeah. Oh man. Uh, I, I'm I'm looking through the YouTube chat. There's a lot of different uh, a lot of different comments and questions, or a couple of questions we'll get to later. But a lot of different. A lot of different comments here, and uh, Michael Myers says, "No matter where we pick, the team cannot let Mike Brown make the first round pick." Well, he's the owner, so I don't, I don't know, I don't know how, how little of say he would have in that. Um, obviously, he's been at the head of a lot of different first round disasters with this team, but uh, we'll let bygones be got bygones, I guess. Um, we're going we're gonna to get to some uh, calls in just a little bit. This is the Orange and Black Insider Bengals podcast. He's John Sheeran. I'm Anthony Cazenza. You can get this show on iTunes, on Stitcher, on Google Play. You can get it on cincyjungle.com. We're also on YouTube and Art19, so get the program how you can. And uh, give us your thoughts on Marvin Lewis and what you think is going to transpire with his job um, coming up here. We did just, uh, unfortunately we got a call, call back in just a, a little bit. I, 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 we're in the middle of a segment here, so I, we couldn't get to your call, but, um, call back in just a, just a little bit here. We'll try and get to you and keep, keep trying to reach us call or text, uh, 949-542-6241. We'll try to get you on the air when and how we can. Otherwise we'll, uh, we'll get your questions from the live YouTube chat or the live comment session, uh, section in Cincy jungle, Dot com or on Twitter at Bengals OBI. You can get us, uh, you can get to us there and we'll try and get your questions there. John, the ba- the, the Pro Bowl rosters were announced this week. Ah. And uh, yes, the Pro Bowl. And Geno Atkins is, is nominated as a starter. Um, I, I think that's kind of rightfully so. And I, I want to talk about him for ju- just a second. But before we do, um, just to run down the uh, – the Bengals nominees, they, they basically had Atkins was the starter and uh, a lot of different alternates. Um, and, and this day and age with what the pro bowl is and isn't um, a lot of players opt out. So we could see more than just Atkins potentially play in the game, uh, which is a good and bad thing. But 
Um, Atkins is he's he's got a seventh uh, seventh Pro Bowl nomination, which puts him basically I think it's second all time in Pro Bowl nominations in team history uh, behind behind Anthony Munoz. But Clayton Fedulum was a first alternate for a special teams player. Uh, Alex Erickson was a third alternate as a returner, which I thought was kind of low for him. I thought he's had a really good year as a return man. Um, Joe Mixon was a third alternate at running back. And oddly enough, AJ Green, who's missed like half the season already, uh, was voted a fourth alternate at wide receiver. He was having an amazing season before he before he got hurt. Uh, and obviously that kind of greatly affected the Bengals' chances going forward. But your thoughts on the Pro Bowl, John? Is it just basically a, nothing more than a popularity contest and basically a joke at this point? So I, I definitely have some takes here. First of all, imagine like, like, yeah, I'm a pro bowler. And, and like your friends, like, dude, you were just a third alternate as a kick returner. Just, just like calm down. So <laughs> first of all, there's that. And I think that like opens the, the giant can of worms to the tremendous salt fest. That is fan voting for the pro bowl. For me, in my perspective, yes. Like fans probably have a little bit too much influence because they just look at box scores. They just look at, you know, who does well in their fantasy teams. They probably look at Madden Reigns as well. So their overall general knowledge is not to the point where we should be, you know, having these guys collect accolades that they probably shouldn't deserve. With that being said, when you just look at the general history of who has gotten a lot of Pro Bowl nominations, for the most part, they're pretty decent players. And there's a there's a handful of, you know, every year of players that probably shouldn't have gotten in. But for the most part, when just looking at, you know, guys who have, like, lead the league in all-time in Pro Bowls, like, nominations – most of them pretty much deserve it. So I don't think that the process is as flawed as a lot of people think, but it's like the, the penultimate, you know, I don't want to actually go. I just want to get the invite and, you know, fan bases and fans are like, yeah, my, 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 my team's, you know, defensive tackle and quarterback definitely should have been voted in. But at the same time, those people don't watch the game because the game is not high quality and they don't even want their players playing in the game because, you know, you could end up like Tyler Eifert and, you know, you know, have an injury that lasts all year because you injured it in the Pro Bowl. So it's a lot of fans being salty, which I love because I love people getting salty over Twitter. And it's about a lot of meaningless stuff. And I I generally think that people just don't respect Pro Bowl nominations as much as all pro. But every single year we had the same discussion and we had the same people getting fake mad about players who play either for winning teams or popular teams getting the Pro Bowl nomination and then half of them end up not playing. So it's honestly one of my favorite pointless beefs with with random people on Twitter and overrated players. It's honestly the perfect storm of just me grabbing some popcorn and going on to Twitter. So I love it, but I can understand why people hate it. Yeah, and it really does, to me, if you're a fan of a team and that team has a, has a not great season, it really just puts an exclamation point on it because a lot of those people get dogged uh, out of out of rifle positions. I mean, in the in the real bad pre-Marvin days of the Bengals, there there were guys that deserved Willie Anderson, Corey Dillon. There were guys that deserved all kinds of accolades that did not receive them simply because they were a very bad team. Um, and I mean, at the time, also it, it was a offensive line slash running back heavy league. Uh, during that time. So, I mean, there were, there were a lot of talented players at those spots, but I mean, the, the point remains that bad teams don't always 
bad bad teams don't always get the the guys in in the in the game or in the Pro Bowl that they should. Like Joe Mixon currently leads the AFC in rushing yardage, and he's the fourth alternate in the game. So. Mm-hmm or third alternate or whatever. But uh, like you said, though, there, even though <laughs> it's like such a mess because the, right. the league, the league has tried to intervene to make it more watchable and to make it more entertaining. They've tried to intervene and say, Oh, you know, if you're basically caught, not tackling or something, uh, you know, I, I, they've tried to do that. They've tried to do, Oh, we're not just going to do AFC versus NFC. We're, we're going to mix it up. Or, they've tried to do all kinds of things. And uh, I mean, at this point, it's and to me, I think a lot of a lot of times what the players loved about it, the Pro Bowl was after the Super Bowl. It used mm-hmm. to be, and it was in Hawaii. So a lot of those guys were like, "Dude, I'm getting I, I I kicked ass this year, and I'm getting a free vacation to Hawaii to bring my family." Right. Right. So it was like that made it felt like it was like a oh, this is a deserved award. Now, I mean, it's like. What if you're a Jacksonville Jaguar and the game's in Orlando, right? Or what if you're, <laughs> you know what I mean? What, yeah. if, what if you're a Miami Dolphin and, or Tampa Bay Buccaneer and, and the game's in Orlando? I mean, it's just kind of like, well, what, what are we doing? To, I mean, to me, it's – they've tried to alter it, and you got to give them credit. They've tried to get creative. But at the same time, it's like, is it better off to do it the old way where it actually seems like a true reward and you actually get, you know, some of the Super Bowl players or whatever to play in the game by keeping it in Hawaii, keeping it after the Super Bowl, all that stuff? Or do you kind of just, again, this discussion, do you do away with it and have maybe like an all-pro team that, that the press designates, kind of kind of like what they do now, and then maybe you have some other ancillary teams or nominations that you call a pro bowl. I, I don't know. And I don't really have a good answer. I, that's why this game is still around, but yeah, I, I just, I actually, as a kid used to look forward to it, even oh, though not, not a lot of Bengals played in it, but now it's like, uh, I, I mean, it, and then you got a guy like Alvin Kamara who just absolutely destroyed the league this year. And he doesn't even, you know, it's like, what, what's going on? Yeah, because it's a lot of different dynamics here. If you want to increase the quality of voting, then presumably you would still want there to be a game. But I don't think your thoughts about you know your favorite team's players playing in a game that doesn't matter would would change in that mind. And then you're thinking because a lot of people would just like it to be like a skills competition and just get rid of the game. And at that point, I wouldn't trust fans to vote for the right players because they would just vote for the guys who would be better to dodgeball would probably like eat the most like wings and like one sitting like hot sauce. <laughs> You know, the guys who could, like, swim with, like, sharks the fastest. All this, like, they would just vote for the guys who would just do well in the skills competition. I'd be down for that. It wouldn't increase the quality of the vote. It would probably diminish, you know, the quality of being a Pro Bowler even more. But it's just, like, a give-and-take system. Like, you just got to choose which one you kind of want to go with. And, you know, getting rid of the fan vote in general would just decrease, you know, overall fan involvement even more than it already is. So I don't think they're even going to do that. I just think that, you know, People just have to decide which side there are that they are on, and I'll just watch this whole chaos go down from my from my computer while while this is all happening. Yeah, my, Michael Myers again in the chat room uh, says, "I don't know. I went to a Pro Bowl in Hawaii back in '95, and the stadium was totally empty. '95. That must have been the Jeff Blake, Carl Pickens. Uh, they must have played in that game. Um, I, if it was in Hawaii, and like you know the." 
I don't know. I, I I'd be interested in kind of going to that because I like Hawaii, but um, I don't know. Uh, he also said it would be more interesting if the players voted instead of fans like the NFL Network's uh, top Yeah, people group. get pissed about that list, too. Like, no one's <laughs> ever going to be happy. Yeah, 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 totally true, totally true. And I, But that's that's where you kind of feel for the league a little bit. They want to have an all-star game, but the nature of the sport in terms right. of the physicality of it, uh, I mean, it just makes it difficult to add another game, especially one that's, I mean, it's not totally meaningless because these guys win money and stuff playing in it, but – I mean, overall, like you said, Tyler Eifert ended up really screwing himself, uh, getting a pretty bad injury in that in that game. So, uh, you know, a lot of people probably look at it and say it's not worth it. Regardless, you know, Atkins is in the Pro Bowl, um, and uh, the Bengals have some other alternates. We're going to get to some listener questions here in just a second. Uh, we do have a caller on the line. This is the Orange and Black Insider. Who's this? John, what's what's going on, sir? Hey, well, uh, great podcast. I'll, I guess I'll just start it off here quickly. Anthony, what? I'm, I'm looking back over the season. Remember, we started four and one, and remember the turnovers we were getting. You remember against Indianapolis, yep, and uh, Miami, yep, and even Tampa Bay when yep. we didn't play so great. What happened? I actually like Terrell or Terrell Austin's philosophy of let's get turnovers. What happened? Well, I, I think uh, that that's a that's a great question and a great point. I think there there are a number of different uh, a number of different um, issues that one could point at uh, in terms of in terms of what occurred. I think. A very inconsistent pass rush contributed. Uh, I think Terrell Austin, by most accounts, said that, that most accounts after he got fired, people said that he tried to throw too much too soon at a at a group that kind of had he had their heads spinning a little bit. John Sheeran, what are some of your thoughts to John from Kentucky's question here? I I don't think it's unreasonable to say that turnovers and committing a lot and forcing a lot of them are necessarily sustainable and people will like point to that that one Charles Tillman season for the Bears where he had like forced eight fumbles or whatever and the Bears defense just you know ran train on the entire NFL and that obviously didn't continue over to the next year and I I think just over a season just a a, a team that forces a lot of turnovers is more in, in in um indicative of how talented that defense is and then once injuries started with with Carl Lawson and you know in the secondary as well, if dark was Denard, you know, some weaknesses started getting exposed. And then you have the entire secondary, you know, unit just completely in shambles just from a talent perspective. So I don't think they have the talent to consistently produce that many turnovers. And obviously the level of competition started to get a lot better because, you know, they faced a Colts team that was still, you know, finding its feet. They faced Jameis Winston, who was just turnover prone in general. And I think the other game was like Brian Tannehill, which, you know, those were two fluky turnovers and to begin with. So I think sustainability is the main issue. And then obviously the lack of talent compared to other top defenses kind of led to that downfall, I guess. Yeah. And, and, and to both Johns, um, I, I think there are, this, this team has proven to be feast or famine on a lot of different fronts. And uh, I think, 
that unfortunately, instead of the, you know, feast one week, famine the other week, feast it, where it's like almost every other week and it's a coin flip, the, the feast was maybe only a quarter of the time and the famine was three quarters of the time. And I think that's indicative of, of the record. The thing, John, John from Kentucky, I, I want to say to you and, and ask you about before we, before we get you off the air, um, you've been a, you've been a Bengals fan for a long time. So I'm sure you can kind of relate the thing in terms of what you're talking about with turnovers and big plays by the defense, the thing that is that has driven me nuts, and we just got done talking about Geno Atkins, he's one of the guys, but their main guys, their big play guys, their big their big time players, especially on defense, they have not shown up in those marquee matchups. They have they absolutely disappeared in the Chiefs game, the Steelers game, the games they needed them to step up the most, they did not step up, and I think that's been a big problem. Yes, I agree. We've had little to no pass rush. And, of course, I'm not about to get out of here yet without bashing the head coach. I mean, during <laughs> the Steelers game that you, that you just mentioned, Anthony, you know, when we had the ball on the Pittsburgh 40-yard line to start the second half, and Marvin Lewis punched the ball. I did, you know, that I was just so frustrated. We've seen that over the years. And um, it, it's things like that is why when Marvin Lewis does leave, I don't want him in the front office. No, because he'll be up there saying, well, we don't really need to move on from Andy Dalton. Let's give him a few more years. You know, Vontaze Perfect, no, he's okay. Another year or two. Dre, no, he's a no. Absolutely no. But we clearly want to move on from Marvin Lewis. Nevertheless, I'll say this, and this is surprising. Did you see? Did you bother to watch the Raiders game? I did. <laughs> okay. Did you see how aggressive Marvin Lewis was there for a little while? Putting his team down the field? Yeah. Even the announcers mentioned it. Well, yeah. Where it's pro- has this been? Oh, I'm sorry. No, no. Go ahead. Where has this been over his career? Well, we want to see this every game. And not just against the worst teams in the league. No. We want to see this against Pittsburgh. Yep. Where has this been? Unfortunately, John, I think again, you, you and I, you and I have watched a lot of Bengals games over over the years, and a lot of Marvin Lewis over the years. I think it's at the point now where it's like, well, now we've got nothing to lose because the, the you know basically the season was kind of out of control. They were playing a lesser opponent; they probably knew that, and uh, you know the the you kind of loosen the grip a little bit, if you will, off the off the handles, and uh, you know what do you know? It paid off. They ended up going for it. They ended up getting points and winning a game. And, uh, I, I don't know. I mean, he's, he's a conservative guy and I think that's been a big problem with him. John, uh, we've got another call coming through. Thanks for calling, sir. All right. See you, buddy. Thanks for calling. This is the orange or black insider. Who's this? Terrell. What's going on, buddy? Uh, good man. Sorry, I, I think you called in a couple times. Sorry, we missed you there, but glad we got you in. Oh, it's all right. It's okay. I'm now being now trying to talk about our things, and uh, I, I like the uh, I want to add. So I like the I like the point y'all was making about the uh, Pro Bowl and everything. That was excellent. So <laughs> thanks, man. Uh, I was gonna say, really, uh, I, I honestly think that uh, Dwayne Haskins is the uh, best quarterback in the draft. And and I was talking about making that risk. Uh, I mean, if they even if they do make that risk of uh, taking uh, the first round, uh, I, I don't mind him sitting behind a dog and seeing. But basically, I just 
just really won't go and have a decent line, though. And, um, and it's funny, though, because, uh, they, uh, Gordy, uh, well, Glenn, whatever you want to call him, whatever. And, uh, he, uh, he was alright this year, but, uh, when I was at work today, somebody had another thing, jersey, uh, jersey on, whatever. And all I, all I, all I could think of was, uh, Glenn Nelson, uh, who played for the coach. I'm like, damn, coach. So, but anyway. Uh, yeah, I like the way I have other people in the quarterback. And also, uh, going into this year to next year, uh, Joe Mason is a top five court, uh, running back in the NFL. Uh, he's better than Gordon. He's better than David Johnson. I, I even got him better than Camaro. Well, right now, he, I, I say I got him more career right now, but, uh, and I got, uh, Camaro right behind him. But other than that, you know, it's girly and it's big. Yeah. And, uh, I just think, uh, and I don't want to talk about Marvin, so. I just, <laughs> Thank I just, you. I just, I, I'm not even going to hold that no time, man. I'm just like, yeah. I'm so happy about uh, Gino, and uh, that's like one of my favorite players, because I've been watching uh, Gino and, and Dunlap, like, from when he was in Florida and when he was in Jordan, like, back in the day. But I'm glad uh, he, got, he got another program, man. Uh, I really thought that, I really think that, uh, Base. I mean, uh, you know the guy from Leonard, the uh, linebacker on the coast. He uh, he got snow, whatever. Yeah. I think Bates was uh, was a better uh, player this year than uh, the guy that played for the uh, Baltimore uh, safety. I can't I can't think of him right now, but uh, yeah, he he got uh, pre, uh, one of the nominees. Move somebody else in the AFC. I thought that Bates played better than him too. But you know it is what it is. You know what says, you know. Yep, popularity contest. Yeah, popularity contest. Thanks, Terrell. We're going to talk about some of your stuff off the air. Appreciate you calling in, my friend. No problem. I'm good. All right, you too. Uh, the, the main one I think a lot of people are interested in, uh, I mean, a lot of good stuff there from Terrell, but the main one I think people will want to talk about or want us to talk about is, is Haskins. And uh, he has risen up quite a bit and rightfully so given his stats and everything that he did this year he has risen up uh, quite a bit really over the past month or so in terms of draft uh draft positioning in in this year's class very weak quarterback class um overall and uh my and i want to get your thoughts on him john i'm just going to say real quick my thoughts i'm i'm i've been a little hesitant about ohio state quarterbacks in general um you know, system they run, all that kind of stuff. And you look back, uh, you know, Troy Smith and, you know, these these athletic guys that can run a, run a bit and they put up these astronomical numbers. They're in the Heisman race. Haskins is one of them. Who was the guy a couple of years ago that stepped in for uh, – Tall Gage, Cardell. Yeah, Cardell Jones and JT Barrett and all – you know, there's, there's all these guys that come out that – have these excellent statistical college careers for Ohio State. The teams are very successful. They go to bowl games. They win national championships. But they get to the NFL. They get to the pros. Neither they're they're undersized. Um, they're overwhelmed by what NFL offenses are asking of them. And I, I don't know if Haskins is of that mold. I don't know if he has a higher ceiling than some of those guys. But there's been kind of a long track record of a lot of Ohio State quarterbacks that have come in and just kind of been blah. Man, it's only December, and we're talking about. 
I wanted to avoid Haskins for like until at least January, but I guess we're just going to do it now. Well, um, yeah. no, no, like l- l- let's just do it. You you have you have hesitation about Ohio State quarterbacks, and for me, it's kind of similar to Ohio State interior offensive line. And a good portion of my family is is, is Ohio State graduates, and I actually saw them just over the weekend. And we were talking about you know Billy Price being better moving to guard, and how ever since Corey Lindsley. Uh, dominated at Ohio State at the center position and then, and then got drafted and has developed into one of the better centers in the league. They've just been plugging and playing guards into center and just kind of, you know, going off of the success that Lindsley had. Pat Elfline was like the Remington Award winner. Billy Price became the Remington Award winner. And then this year, Mike Jordan was uh, the, the Remington Award winner for all all three of them were the best centers in the, league, in the, in the nation. And, you know, all my family who are Ohio State fans, like, Mike Jordan's not good. He's, he's not a good center, but because of the reputation that was set upon, you know, that position in, in recent years past, it kind of creates this false perception that guys, just because they're wearing the scarlet and gray and they're playing center, they must be good at football. So with with that, I would always say for in terms of scouting guys, you know, you got to look at the traits. You got to look at what they actually do more so than what jersey that they wear. And a lot of people got in trouble with that when with Patrick Mahomes because people didn't trust, you know, Big 12 air raid quarterbacks succeeding in the NFL, but they didn't look at what Mahomes did well, and a lot of them got burned because he's lighting the league on fire. So it's dangerous to look at Haskins and assume that because he's the highest state quarterback, you know, he's, he's not NFL caliber, but at the same time, there's also the other factors that you have to look at, you know, what kind of scheme was he in? Did he get right. a lot of help from his playmakers? You know, what was his average depth of target? Did he show the, you know, the willingness to push the ball down the field or, and did he operate well out of structure? And it's a lot of questions that obviously you and I are not well prepped to answer at this point in time because I didn't really watch a lot of film on Haskins this year. I just watched a couple live Ohio State games. But, you know, people will know me as, you know, kind of an anti-Ohio State guy. I just, you know, w- being in the region and not being growing up a fan of the Buckeyes, you know, naturally I'm a little bit more pessimistic on some of those guys translating to the NFL. But just because he's an Ohio State quarterback doesn't mean that he's automatically – you know, falling in line with those other guys. But at the same time, there are legitimate questions. And I think that people who are Ohio State fans may get a little bit too high on Haskins just because he succeeded, you know, statistically. And, they, and he still has, you know, major questions, major, you know, issues that he needs to kind of go through. And maybe the Bengals are the team to provide him with the best spot. Maybe they aren't. But I, I think that's a question that we're going to, um, you know, find out here in, in the next coming months. Yeah, agreed. And uh, I, this kind of the, the reason I, I wanted to talk about Haskins is because that also tied in a little bit to a, it kind of killed two birds with one stone here with another question we had from Brian Browerman talking about drafting Dalton's future replacement. Um, Terrell didn't say that he thinks the Bengals necessarily will draft Haskins, but I mean, obviously he would be one of the nominees to potentially an, as an early round guy to potentially uh, take the place of, of Dalton. I, so, Brian, thank you for the question as well. I, I think just for now, we, we get we get the Dalton question a lot. So I think we're gonna we're gonna hold off. But hopefully that kind of ties in and answers a little bit of your question in terms of Haskins and what what we have seen from him and our concerns with him. We had another segment planned, but we're we're running uh, running kind of long on time, and we've got a slew of awesome questions this week. So I think we'll hold off on that segment for next week and just finish off with a couple more listener questions. We got a text. Um, I believe it was also noted in the 
live YouTube chat from Vernon Lawson. And I love this question. Do you see any of the younger players making the jump like Tyler Boyd has meaning probably with the one Tyler Boyd made this year? Um, I, I don't, I, I don't know. Uh, you know, again, Boyd was, Boyd was a second year guy into a third year guy. So I don't know if you're, if you're, you know, if you want to pigeonhole the rookies, I don't know if you want to do that. Um, I guess if you want to say a second year guy into his third year, I'll, I'd like to go with Carl Lawson. Um, I, I think unfortunately he only had one sack this year. He played in eight games, but he had numerous pressures, only had one sack, obviously had his career, uh, not his career, God, uh, his season cut short. And I think that if and when he's healthy next season, you know, if you get, Gino close to what he gave you this this year you still got Dunlap if you if he gives you close to what he gave you this year you and you give more snaps to a Lawson to a Hubbard I like Michael Johnson but you know his I think his days continue to be numbered here um I think if you give those guys snaps um I I think they'll produce for you I don't know that Lawson's you know gonna have this 15 sack explosion year um but I, I could see him, if healthy the entire year, getting the proper snaps and being uh, productive. I could see him sniffing double-digit sacks. Okay, I, I like that. Um, I think uh, a simple answer would be Ross, but a lot of that is, I think, ba- is based off what the future of the offense is going to be in 2019, if, if Laser's going to stay. Um, I think I think we're pretty sure that Dalton's going to be starting, but I think there's more factors that go into it than that. I can see Ross, you know, ex- not exploding to the level that Boyd did, but progressing at, at a level that I think a lot of us are comfortable with, but I'm going to stick in the fourth round and go to Ryan Glasgow because yeah. he, he was a guy that admittedly I wasn't that big of a fan on, you know, coming out of the draft and from his rookie year, I thought he provided little upside as a pass rusher, little upside as an athlete, but just in the preseason in the first three games that he played before he tore that ACL, I thought he looked like a completely different player and, and to the sense where he made the necessary jumps in technique to compensate for a lack of explosion and a lack of burst off the line. Uh, he looked really good with his hands. I think he added a lot more muscle that helped him out um, holding off at the point of attack and run defense. And, you know, a big complaint for me has always been the lack of depth behind Geno Atkins and how he had to carry that position group uh, next to mainly Domo Topeco and now Andrew Billings. But I think Glasgow is a solid piece moving forward. And I want to see how he recovers off that 20 CL because like Gino, when he came back in 2014, he, you know, didn't look himself. And for those guys who are, you know, near 300 pounds, it takes a little bit longer than maybe some skill position players do coming off of that injury. And that's the question that we also have to ask for Lawson as well. And now he's going to come back yeah. from that injury. But I'm excited for Glasgow going forward just because of what he showed. And I think he can develop into one of the better rotational defensive tackles in the league if he comes back healthy. Yeah, the scary thing about a lot of these guys, a lot of torn knee ligaments, a lot of sprained knee ligaments, a lot of uh, long-term, you know, a lot of ligament stuff this year. A.J. Green, mm-hmm. toe ligament, Andy Dalton, thumb ligament. I mean, it's it's a lot of, like, long-term recovery stuff and long-term uh, keep them out of the lineup stuff. That's what's been uh, – so, I mean, I guess when we sit here and we want to – knock on the medical staff a little bit, which is an easy target. You know, some of these things are just kind of like, well, when it's a ligament, it's a ligament. I, I you know, I, I don't know what, what more you can really do about that, but uh, <laughs> is, is, is what it is. Uh, 
I guess we can end with this one. We, we've mentioned his name a couple of times, uh, but I thought this was a good question. Michael Myers um, asking about the tight end spot. Uh, curious what this team does at the tight end spot. Uh, is Eifert worth the money uh, with his history? Well, that's a good question in itself. Uh, what will Croft ask for? Another good question. Um, and he ends with a comment about CJ Uzama. Um, for some reason last week, I noticed that CJ Uzama was targeted a bunch of times and made minimal catches. Uh, I also noticed that for some reason, this is just super random. I, it was just a random observation. He was like throwing his body around, trying to make catches and slamming his head against the turf. His body was just like ragdollish for some reason last week. And I don't know what that was about. I haven't really seen that too much from him, but uh, I, I think, I think, Uzama's a nice number two. I, I think he's good what he has been traditionally for the Bengals. A good number two guy, a decent passing outlet. Um, he's tall, he's athletic, and he can catch the ball well. I, I think I think he's a valuable guy to keep as a backup guy, but it's what you do going, you know, with ahead. And uh, a lot of people say, well, do you use that first round pick on a tight end? Do you use maybe a second round pick, especially if it's a higher, you end up getting that higher slating of, of a draft selection maybe one of those good tight ends falls to the beginning of the second round um i like tyler eifert i really do and i like what he brings to the lineup but at this point it's like it's ankle it's ankle again it's back it's elbow it's i mean it it there's a lot of and it comes unfortunately that comes with the territory of the position they play because they're asked to block and catch tough catches across the middle but i don't know um and I don't know what Eifert's going to ask for because of the injury history. So I'd like to see him back and maybe a pro another prove-it deal, but I don't think they can rely on him. No, they can't. But if it's all the same to him, if he wants to continue risking his body, you know, another body part to permanent damage, if he wants to keep coming back, yeah, I'll give him a one-year deal. Like, I, I honestly, like the rate of which his body is, de is degenerating and the rate of which he's worth on the open market – they're on like a congruent plane downwards. So like they can get him for, you know, less than what they probably did from near him now. I think his final cap, it was like five and a half. He's going to be like 29, 30 years old, you know, coming off another season and injury. I can't imagine a lot of other teams, if they didn't show love to him last year in the open market, I can't imagine they're going to show any love this year. So, you know, I, I'm disappointed in how little – They've, or how much they've limited Uzoma, in my opinion. I, I don't think they have him running you know, enough downfield routes and have him using his speed to kind of stretch the field in a way that I think he's capable of doing. And I think a lot of that has contributed to his lack of production. And obviously, Jeff Russell couldn't hit the broadside of a barn last week, and that had a lot to do, lot to do with yeah. you know, not just Uzoma's lack of production, but the entire receiving core. And, yeah. he's, and he's been dealing with, you know, Andy Dalton's, you know, you know, what, whatever accuracy issues he's always been dealing with. And obviously Jeff Triscoll is a backup quarterback. So the situation's not great, but he's also not that upper tier athlete that a guy like Eifert is. And I think they just trust him a lot. They, they depend upon him a lot too much just going into the season. And, and when, not even if, when he goes down, they just haven't um, given the confidence in Croft or, you know, Izoma to kind of take over for him because they are different levels of athletes and, I don't think they planned well enough, you know, when he goes out loud to implement either Croft or Uzoma. As far as Croft goes, I, I can't imagine he's going to ask for much either. But 
you know, I, I, I'm okay with bringing back Uzoma on a modest deal. I'm okay with bringing back Eifert on, on another one-year deal. Again, if it's all the same to him, if he wants to keep doing this, he's still, you know, an upper-tier talent when he is healthy. So you might as well just keep getting these one-year deals until something sticks. But one thing I do know is that, in general, it's better to buy tight ends rather than rely on young tight ends to produce. It's so rare for a rookie tight end to come in and produce like a like a number one. You have a guy like George Kittle who is in his second year and he's blowing up the league with Nick Bowens as a quarterback. But, you know, typically the, that year two jump is where you see tight ends, you know, actually produce. But relying on a rookie one, especially in the first round, it's kind of a losing battle and not a lot of teams have, have success with it. So I'm okay with relying on veterans, but – whether it's Eifert or maybe a draft pick, you still have to probably have to have that athletic guy that you can trust, you know, winning down the field. Uh, Yeah. I've just got a couple more points here Uh, uh, regarding Croft. um, You know, he had a nice year, nice year in 2017 in terms of stepping up for Eifert. And um, I think he was co-leading the team in in touchdown. He was maybe second in in the Mm. team with touchdown receptions with like seven or eight. And uh, so, I mean, good, good season there. I just, I feel like a guy with his skill set is a little more findable than an oh, Eifert, sure. than an Eifert, than an Uzama. Um, and and I, I mean, I hate to say that because he's had he's been more consistent than Uzama. He's had more more, but I, I just feel like his skill set more of a little bit more inline blocker, um, kind of more of the short yardagey type of stuff. I think his skill set. It points to a guy that is is a bit more findable in the draft or in free agency. The the other thing I've and I don't know if you've noticed it, John, but one thing I've noticed, especially as the year has gone on and when Eifert has been out of the lineup, the Bengals have traditionally run a very effective play uh, in the Dalton era, which is a tight end screen, um, and they've mm-hmm. really done it a lot. Where it's just a little dump. It's it's almost what you see a lot of teams run with with the running backs. Um, and just because of the athleticism of some of their tight ends, particularly Eifert, um, it's been an effective play. You know, they're in a hole, second and long, third and long, and they do this dump off play, and Eifert will move the chains on a on a play where he just kind of runs after the catch. And uh, that play has been lacking, and I think that's been hurting the offense among many many other things. But they need to they need to get if they especially if they're going to keep Dalton. And trust me, we've got a lot of questions about that tonight. If they're going to keep Dalton next year, that's probably a play in the arsenal they're going to need to bring back uh, because that's a that's a confidence builder. That's a that's a drive, you know, a drive uh, continuing type of play, and it just hasn't really been part of the repertoire lately. So uh, whether that's Eifert coming back and somehow being healthy and and contributing in that capacity, somebody else. Um, and that's just one little play. I mean, we've seen Eifert make great catches and whatnot, and uh, that's also missed. But tight end definitely needs to be addressed. Matt Langle will probably not be back, I don't think, next year. Uh, Mason Shrek is in the last year of his deal, his rookie deal, I believe. So um, he's got something to prove. And, uh, you know, the Bengals have a lot, a lot of decisions to make there because Eifert will be a free agent. Croft will be a free agent, and I think Uzama's going to be a free agent um, as well, if, yeah. I'm, if I'm not mistaken. All those guys are. So they need to uh, they need to do that. They need to figure that out. So uh, thanks for all the questions tonight, guys. Appreciate it. Appreciate you tuning in. Uh, hopefully our answers appease you. <laughs> uh, I, don't, I don't know if they will or not, but uh, we appreciate all the questions. 
and uh, all of the interaction that you continue to show this this program, even though it has been an, another subpar year by the Cincinnati Bengals. You can get this show on iTunes, on Stitcher, on Google Play. You can get it on Art19. It's uh, all of our stuffs on YouTube as well, and uh, you can you can get our stuff on CincyJungle.com. One thing I I also forgot to to mention and. This stuff isn't on YouTube, but it's on our, our audio feed and whatnot. We do a post-game. It's usually through this, the Cincy Jungle Facebook Live. We do a post-game analysis video, and uh, we end up transferring that to our, our podcast feed. So uh, if you are strictly a YouTube watcher of our program, definitely check that out. Uh, we ta- it's, it's usually immediately following the game. Um, so, so definitely check that out. We bring that to you every week that we can. Uh, to talk about what transpired in the most recent Bengals game. John, we're going to get out of here. Uh, how are you doing on Christmas shopping, man? Are you uh, – oh, I'm are done. You are you? I made sure to get done yesterday. Good for you. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm pretty much done too. I think I've got some other stuff to like, – a couple other things to buy for like gift exchanges and stuff. But uh, for actual people, I think I'm, I'm – It's amazing good. what you can buy with that podcast money. That's right. That's right. Just uh, – <laughs> Got it. We're doing the Scrooge McDuck dive into the the, the <laughs> vault of gold coins, right? Um, no, but uh, yeah, it's and it's a good feeling to have not racing around days before Christmas to to do the shopping. So uh, I'm sure you can relate. Speaking of Christmas, we we haven't definitively decided as to what we will be doing this next week uh, for. For the program, obviously, it's the day it's the day after Christmas. Um, so, John, we can talk offline about availability and all of that stuff. Uh, but we will plan to bring you something next week for sure. Um, and uh, obviously, it, you know, even though the interest level isn't geared towards what the Bengals will do towards playoffs and all that kind of stuff, there's a lot of interest level, especially this time of year with coaching and potential change-ups, all that kind of stuff. So keep it here. Keep it at Cincy Jungle for all of those updates. We appreciate all of the support. Have a great Christmas if that's the holiday you celebrate. If you celebrate a different holiday, happy, merry, all of that stuff. Happy holidays. Uh, Have a great new year if you do not uh, tune in to us live before then. But uh, shame on you if you don't. But have a good new year nonetheless. And... uh, John, Merry Christmas, my friend. It's it's a week early, but uh, and it's it's kind of weird to say it so early, but Merry Christmas, buddy. Merry Christmas to you as well, man. Yeah, thanks for everything you've done for this show, and thanks to the listeners. We'll see you next episode. This has been the Orange and Black Insider Bengals podcast. We'll see you next time. My name is Spencer Hall. My name is Jason Kirk. My name is Ryan Nanny. And when we combine, we form the, the Shutdown, Shutdown Fullcast. I keep telling you, we're not Voltron. The Shutdown Fullcast is technically a college football podcast, but it's also a show about lawn care disasters, regional grocery stores we love, Tennessee Batman, homeowners associations. 
bears in video games. I mean, there's also some actual football discussion, like about coaches having huge contracts or coaches making terrible decisions or coaches saying really stupid things. Or the NCAA saying really stupid things. Yeah, there's lots of stupid things in this big, dumb, beautiful sport. Sometimes we talk about football games. Allegedly. If you want to take college football exactly as seriously as it deserves to be taken, come find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever else you listen to podcasts like this one. The Shutdown Forecast. It's not Voltron. More to-dos, less time, and an infinite number of tools to keep track of. Sometimes doing business has never felt harder, but you don't need a miracle to hit your goals. You can just use HubSpot because their all-in-one customer platform can make growing your business infinitely easier. Imagine this, high-quality leads, fast-closing deals, wildly happy customers, and more benchmark-breaking quarters. It's not a miracle, it's HubSpot. Visit HubSpot.com to get started today. Support for this show comes from Fundrise. Buy low, sell high. It's easy to say, hard to do. For example, high interest rates are crushing the real estate market right now. Demand is dropping and prices are falling, even for many of the best assets. It's no wonder the Fundrise flagship fund plans to go on a buying spree, expanding its billion-dollar real estate portfolio over the next few months. You can add the Fundrise flagship fund to your portfolio in just minutes and with as little as $10 by visiting Fundrise.com Fox. Carefully consider the investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses of the Fundrise flagship fund before investing. This and other information can be found in the fund's prospectus at Fundrise.com flagship. This is a paid advertisement.